I'm here with Father Gail Hammerschmidt. You just did a great show with us. Uh, yeah, thank you. Really, I think that's, that's kind of what we really hope to do with Life on the Rock, that conversation you have with Brother John. And so we just wanted to maybe talk about different topics. Um, your student chaplain at Kansas State University, how big is the university? Yeah, we're just right around 20,000 students 20, enrolled at Kansas State. Wow. So, uh, good size, you know, obviously a good size college for, for the state of Kansas. Not as big as maybe some mm -hmm. of the schools that you'll find in Texas or, yeah. or Pennsylvania, yeah. Ohio. But uh, yeah, a nice, nice size school, 20,000 students. And um, maybe we should say, too, we need, to, we need to get you to send those pictures to Greg, our producer, yeah. about, the, about your you got the, you have this incredible church you built there. Tell us a little about that. How did you okay. raise the money to build that structure? Yeah, thanks. It's, it's one of my favorite topics to, to speak <laughs> on. And in fact, we'll be on the 28th of January. That's when we, we dedicate it. Mm -hmm. And so we're very close to that. Uh, we, you know, for, for 20 years probably, we had a chapel that was too small at St. Isidore's at Kansas State. And so the, the way it would work is, you know, especially the, the masses that were on Sunday mornings, it would just fill up and then you'd have to send people into these gathering spaces mm -hmm. to watch mass on a television screen right. even though you're in the same building but you're right. in a spillover section watching mass on a television screen uh, and we just knew we needed to do something uh, about it they'd been raising some money even before i arrived and so it's nice when you arrive and they say hey we probably need to do something here and the good news is, Father, here's $7 million that we've already raised wow. <laughs> to start. Wow. And so met with some architects, uh, met with a gentleman by the name of Kevin Clark, who I would endorse to anyone mm -hmm. as an architect in regards to, to especially working with uh, university and uh, student centers, Newman centers, building this beautiful church that we have. And so he helped us to figure out what our needs were uh, then an estimated cost we recognize we're probably going to need to raise another 12 million to, to make all of this yeah. happen, to renovate what we had, to tear the old church down and to build a church of sufficient size. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we began, you know, probably five years ago mm -hmm. and we, we even had a, a transition of a, a bishop, a bishop left, uh, uh, was called to, to become the, the new bishop in Tucson, Arizona. And so we had about a nine month period where we were waiting to see yeah. if the next bishop would even approve right. of such a plan. And, and our current bishop uh, and Diocese of Salina, Gerald Vinke, uh, Bishop Vinke showed up and he, he was the perfect guy. He's a huge supporter of college right. ministry. Right. And so we just kept on. We, we worked with a, an organization out of Omaha, the Steyer Group, to, to raise the money. And then and ultimately we just began a campaign where we reached out to alumni, to those who believe in, in the Catholic faith. I, I would say it again and again and again in, in traveling the state and beyond that I believe that St. Isidore's is the most important church for the future of the Catholic faith within the state of Kansas. That, that's what I, that was state. my line. Really? Just because, you know, the University of Kansas, good friends over there. Yeah. But, but there's more Kansas kids that actually go to uh, Kansas State. Kansas, University of Kansas, great university. Uh -huh. A lot of, of out-of-state kids mm -hmm. that, that are there. And so just kind of the, if you're banking on kids coming to a university and then returning to the state of Kansas, right. it's going to happen probably more so at Kansas State than at the University of Kansas. So that's, that's the line, you know, that... Yeah. We get them for four or five years, mm -hmm. and if we can train them in the faith, yeah. and then send them 
back to communities, uh-huh. cities within the state of Kansas, that, that it's going to pay dividends within each of those communities. And so uh, we were very successful. People were so incredibly generous. And we were able to raise actually quite a bit more than, than that $12 million plus the seven. You know, so we were able to raise over $20 million to, to do this project. Yeah, it's a really, it's a beautiful church, huge structure. And I know sometimes it's contentious, like the interior of the church. Was that your decisions or do you have committees? We, we do. We have a committee. And, yeah. and for the most part, it wasn't too contentious. Uh, you know, we would have ideas that would be thrown at us by some of the architects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce McMillan was a local architect, also a great man, him, Kevin Clark. Our, our committee, our, we have students actually that are a part of the committee, a, a young man by the name of Ridge Pinkston, mm-hmm. and he's the local expert in church uh, architecture. And and I remembered early on when he was telling me he should be on the, on the committee and yeah. uh, is is one of my my favorite students, and uh-huh. and I was like, ah, I don't I don't know about this. <laughs> this may be a bad idea, and so I just pulled out a book, and I knew the answer just because it said it on the back page. Like, okay, what style of architecture is this, or what style uh-huh. of architecture is this? And he just kept nailing it, like <laughs> one after another. Oh, well, this is what this is about, and, and here's why this wouldn't make sense to do right. these sorts of things. Right. Uh, another young lady by the name of Grace, it's on the on the building committee, and and then community members, uh, some really wonderful wonderful people are on our committee and so we come together and, and you know we hire experts people who know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, evergreen studios out of new york has done an incredible job in the interior kind of design and, and yeah. you know it's, you can look at it there's these options what do you think do you like this or do you like this our yeah. committee would look at us well we think we like this better than that and so that's that's kind of how we came up and, and i think anybody could probably google our church saint isidore's catholic student center manhattan kansas and, and see some of the pictures of the our Facebook page, et cetera, yeah. just to, to see if they want to, you know, listen to this and see what we're talking about. Because we are very, very excited about this church that we'll be opening. I know. It was just so unusual. I mean, oftentimes, like, students and around the university, there's not a lot of money thrown at the Catholic Church or anything. And yet, was it a big challenge for you personally to head up this thing and to organize it? And It was a, a lot more fun than I thought it would be. It was daunting at the wow. start. But the Lord is so, so one thing you need to realize, Father, is that uh, the Lord has blessed me beyond belief. Like he knows how inept I am in most things. And so he just <laughs> continues to surround me with good people and yeah. make things easy on me. And so that's happened for me from the start, from the start. And, uh, and it's just, it's been such a joy. There have been some difficult days. There, yeah. There's been some difficult days, but you know, it's, it's been about a five-year project and uh, you know, you, you say it's, it's strange that, that people are throwing this mm-hmm. money at us to build this mm-hmm. thing. But but honestly, it's a bit of a, a renaissance, a resurgence, if you will, in uh, university, like especially secular universities. I could yeah. probably easily name five or six of them within the last 10 years or, or that, you know, are in the same shoes that we're in that are about to open really incredibly beautiful uh, student-centered churches. And didn't like University of Nebraska Lincoln build sure. a bit? Yeah, they built it. So Kevin Clark, my architect, he mm-hmm. he was an architect on that project oh, as well. Okay. And so University of, of Lincoln and Nebraska, Father Mattia, he's been there for mm-hmm. 25 years. What a great man! Mm-hmm. I, I'm try to model myself mm-hmm. after him and all that he's done with college ministry. And uh, so he, you know, invited us, our team, to to Lincoln 
and we met Jude Werner, who's a great development man at the St. Thomas in in Lincoln. And then Jude introduced me to Kevin Clark. And so again, my ineptitude, if that's even a word, ineptness, uh, has been just blessed by by these people, the University of Nebraska and Lincoln. Uh, I have a great friend, one of my best friends, is a chaplain at Oklahoma State University. They're building a center that's even probably going to cost a little, a little bit more than ours. And they've got an incredible location. So you, you look at their football, their football field where the yeah. Oklahoma State Cowboys play. Right there, I mean, right there, basically adjacent to the parking lot, almost in the parking lot, is going to be this 20-some million dollar wow. Catholic church and student center. And, you know, Father, the other thing that I'll bring up, that when I say sometimes there are some tough days, uh, Every now and again, when it would be like in our, our college paper, you know, there'd be some story on us building this new church. Yeah. The same old things would come at us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see how you are, Catholics, spending all these millions of dollars yeah. building a church for yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, but what are you doing? Is that what, really what Jesus wants you to do? You know, yeah. like, why, don't you, why don't you help the poor? Right. So we started yeah. a program. In yeah. fact, we started a program to, to give meals. We were giving 500 meals away every Wednesday night to any student who needs a meal. Mm. And so we're like, well, why can't we do both? We can do both. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I really believe in is that I really believe that beauty changes the world, that it matters. And Catholic churches need to be uh, beautiful. Right. It can, it can transcend things. It can change the heart. You, yeah. Your heart is elevated to heaven. Uh, I talk too much sometimes, but <laughs> so cut me off when you want. But I'll, I'll maybe conclude with this, this story. A story that I'd heard, who knows, you know, how or when it happened exactly, but it's a story just I'll never forget of of an argument like this taking place. Some some non-Catholic kind of getting upset outside of this basilica, yelling at the Catholic that walked out the doors and why do you build such beautiful things when we have all of these poor people on our, our streets? And a poor uh, a poor man walked up and started to listen to this conversation. He said, do you mind if I, I say something? He said, I'm, I'm homeless. That's my status. I, I don't have a place to live. And some of that's because of my own decision. Some of that is circumstance. But the reality is, is every morning I walk past this church and I walk up those stairs and I spend five minutes inside of that church. And it's the best five minutes of my day. Mm-hmm. And then he turned to the person who was chewing the Catholic out and said, now, why is it that you want to take this away from us, me, right, right, and so beauty matters. Yeah, and 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 that's what we're trying to do. We're trying yeah. to build a, a beautiful church at, yeah. at Saint Isidore's, Kansas State. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like when the church possesses these beautiful things, it's it's for the people and anybody, right? You can come and pray, and um, yeah, you think of like Saint Peter's got these great treasures in Rome and stuff, and it's, it's yeah. Just, and <laughs> where else are you going to go for yeah. free? All right, and see one of the most famous carvings of Michelangelo. Yeah. You're not, but there it yeah. is, right, right there in St. Peter's. Right. Yeah, somebody was shocked, absolutely shocked, when they heard that we were going to keep the doors of St. Isidore's open <laughs> for people just to come in and pray. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 they'll probably lock it down after services, right? Yeah. Something that beautiful. No, no, yeah. it's a gift to the people. We want the students, we want the, a story of, of St. Thomas in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, the University of Nebraska, they tell me that a young lady who was from overseas had found out she wasn't Catholic. She might have not even been Christian, 
but she found out that a, a family member, a dear beloved family member had just died. And around that time, as she was getting off the phone, uh, this tragic news, she just heard the invitation of the bells of their church ringing. Mm. And she walked into that church and just had a sense of peace. Wow. It, it's a gift not only to the Catholic kids on campus, yeah. but it's a gift to all people. This is an opportunity to bring Pope Benedict into it. We, we just had sure. his passing the other day, and he wrote so well and profoundly on beauty and uh, and just had a great sensitivity in his life. I think of music, you know, he loved Bach and Mozart first, I think, then Bach, <laughs> and um, and played the piano himself. But and just and the, the beauty of his, his expressions and his preaching and, you know, the way he say things always so striking um what are some of the things that have touched you about his pontificate it might be beauty or something else well for sure and one thing he didn't hesitate to do would be to wear just the the fanciest of vestments right, right. <laughs> and there's something about that there's yeah. something yeah. about that you know yeah. so many people that i know that come into the church because of the glory of right. and like there's something special going on here right it's not right. just a guy behind a, a podium yeah preaching yeah. but there's something mysterious that I don't understand. And, and Benedict really would have definitely understood yeah. that. We, we talk about Pope Benedict, and uh, I have my own little dime podcast. It's called Cons of Catholic, and I, we did an episode on Benedict just this past week where we reflected upon his life and what it's meant to myself and the producer. Uh, and, and I was in, in seminary in Denver, Colorado for seven years. And so when I decided to go to the seminary. They make it sound like a prison seminary. <laughs> <laughs> it, I probably do make it sound like that, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I, I have a nostalgia. Like, I, when I drive back to, to Denver and I drive through the streets of Denver, I'm sad. Like, sometimes even tears come to my eyes like, man, I miss this so much. But nostalgia, you know how nostalgia works. You only remember the good stuff. <laughs> I don't remember all of the tests that I had to take. The stress. Uh, but the, the seven years that I was there uh, began really right after Pope Benedict took uh, the papacy. He was named Pope. And, and then my first year as a priest, that's when he uh, stepped down, when he stepped down. And so the entirety of my seminary formation was under his pontificate. And, and that matters. I think that matters. Like, who's the Pope when you're in the mm -hmm. seminary? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I remember is this, and, and I bet it wasn't that way for other Popes. All of us, every one of us, we loved Benedict. I would imagine that, you know, when guys were going through the seminary, there's some things about John Paul II that mm -hmm. they didn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, now you mm -hmm. probably talk to seminary and say, well, what do you make of this mm -hmm. Pope Francis mm -hmm. character? And you're going to find some guys that are going to have some, some critiques. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We loved him. Mm -hmm. We loved him. He, he spoke so clear, mm -hmm. so clear. His three encyclicals, just amazing. Yeah. And, and that's what we would study. That's what we would read. Mm -hmm. That's what we would even chat about, you know, uh, at dinner. Yeah. And he just was kind of a, a theologian that could, could write clearly. He could speak clearly. We, we celebrate his gift of the catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, obviously, John Paul II commissioned it, but Benedict was at the heart of, of putting it together. I think it's a, a great gift, to, you know, so that's what we're also studying in the, in the seminary. Um, and and it, as, you, as you brought up, just his appreciation 
of beauty made us appreciate beauty. Right. You know, I, I preached this morning at the Mass. We've been celebrating like memorials for his passing, Mass of the Dead. And, and um, at first, you know, I wanted to say something about him, and I was, it was just overwhelming. How do you, you can't sum this up, you know? Right. But I tell you, I, I just putting some energy and effort into it and reading some stuff. And I've always loved Benedict, you know. In fact, I mean, even today, I, I think I use his stuff more than even John Paul II, like in preaching and helped me. To, just his scripture commentaries, what he said about, and his saints. I mean, those catechesis on the saints, they're like awesome summaries because he, he gives you the context of like what these church fathers lived in and their mm -hmm. overall theme and the greatness of what they did or achieved or a problem addressed. And he just was this systematizer that could analyze stuff. And I, that's one thing I was always taken by him, like the Ratzinger report and everything. You know, he could, he could say, this is the error, you know, of the day. This is where this idea, ideology fails, you know, and just sum it up so beautifully. But two, uh, this morning we were praying the rosary after mass and it, it just kind of hit me too about there is like this simplicity of his faith, even though he's this great academic, extremely articulate, huge scholar, he almost had like this childlike quality of like, this is the faith. And he wasn't going to be shaken by whatever the German ch church could yeah, throw out right, on the German right. <laughs> Said it comes and it goes, you know. And, and there was something about, he, you know, his last testament, he credits his father for showing him the faith and the firmness of it and stuff. Um, you know, another thing that was beautiful for me is after reading his his series, Jesus of Nazareth, right. especially the first book, I could see those themes all over the catechism. You could see his hand in the catechism. You can also see John Paul II's, obviously. But, yeah, I just, what a big impact. And and I just learned, too, that he, you know, he was just a peritus at the council, but he really contributed to some of the documents right. in serious ways. So this genius, he's, he's a genius. We can't deny that he's a genius. Uh, the way he could speak mm -hmm. so many languages, just like, like John Paul II before him. Uh, but he never got wrapped up in the fact that he was a genius. Uh, my uh, the producer of, of our podcast, uh, his name's Andy Brandt, and he slid me a note the other day that basically said, in 1997, <laughs> Ratzinger, and, and who of the popes is maybe even more famous by their cardinal name than by their, their pope name, Cardinal Ratzinger, mm -hmm. that he, he asked John Paul II if he could step down from being cardinal mm -hmm. and just become an archivist. He <laughs> 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 yeah, this this great theologian. He wanted to write. He wanted to be an archivist. And uh, John Paul II <laughs> said, no. <Yeah. laughs> no, I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine it, that. Obviously, it was unprecedented basically for him to step down from from being the pope but probably anybody who knew him would not have been surprised by that because yeah a genius a guy that could take his genius systematize it yeah. and, and write it clearly yeah. it was so needed and and it's right. still needed right for him yeah. he, he could simply explain why it's right why, why it's wrong right uh his famous quote there was what the cardinal ratzinger fan club people used to wear yeah. t-shirts cardinal <laughs> ratzinger fan club and in the back it always said something like truth is not determined by a majority vote or, or, right, right. no yeah. truth is true 
yeah. and, and the dictatorship yeah. of relativism that he was always fighting. Yeah. That was definitely a theme for us as we were going through the seminary. It's obviously an important theme to continue to speak on. Yeah, and you think of like the tag team of him and John Paul, you know, his CDF head, and it's like, man, what a what a glory. <laughs> like John Paul's traveling and so good with people and the great evangelist and catechist in his own right, obviously. And, yeah, since 1981, I yeah. think I'd heard that Ratzinger was in Rome, always in Rome since 1981, yeah. because John Paul II said, I need you. Yeah. I need you. I know. I heard that story. Raymond Arroyo interviewed him when he was still just with the CDF. And and it was so beautiful, one of the most beautiful stories that he would, you know, when his term was up at the CDF, he would go to John Paul. And I think he did it twice. He would ask, he wanted to go back to Bavaria, right. eat white sausages, and <laughs> do theology. And I think he was going to do it a third time, ask him again. And John Paul's got Parkinson's and all this stuff. And he said he looked at John Paul. He said, "How could I, how could I not stay? Right? You know, how could I not continue to do this?" He saw him suffering so much, and that I think that was. I mean, to me, it was like fitting that John Paul stayed in office. There was something that just made sense to me that he was just such a, uh, such a father figure, and and had such strength, and just a, and I think he witnessed in his terrible sufferings at the end of his life. And uh, at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, with, with Benedict stepping down, I did feel like, you know, why do we want to punish these guys, you know, just wring them out to their very end? I think for me, John Paul, it made sense. For Ratzinger, I, I don't know, I thought it was a good precedent. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes yeah, into the future. Yeah. I, I laughed. I remembered when he stepped down, when Benedict stepped down. And we, we were all laughing, like, well, has this ever happened before? Yeah. Like, when was the, do we have any precedence for yeah, this? What, yeah. what do we do in a situation like this? Uh -huh. And we all rejoice in being Catholic because what other Christian organization or church yeah. can say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, there was that time 720 <laughs> years ago that this happened, and here's what they did. You know, right, right, <laughs> I don't right. think other, other faith denominations are probably going to be able to say, yeah. oh, 720 years ago, here's what we did. Yeah. Uh, Peter Sewald wrote two great books they're just interviewed back and forth with yeah. uh, first one i think was just with with him as cardinal mm -hmm. ratzinger and then another one i think they were called salt of the earth and light of the world i mm -hmm. uh, just uh, i think it was peter seawald I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the name of the, the guy who who just interviewed him and and i read both of those and, and absolutely just loved this man uh the way he would answer the questions honestly uh, amazing yeah and I, I heard that. I, I know a priest that was in one of his seminars or something that he would teach. And he, he said they would have this big discussion and, and Ratzinger would just summarize the point, you know, in a generous way and then and give his take on it. But he was, you know, he'd listen intently and be able to distill it and get the essence of it and present it. And, you know, something else comes to mind. I, I got the the great blessing to go to Rome for the close for the year for priests. Father Miguel and I went. And so I forgot in the square, I probably had like pushing 20,000 priests in the square. And he was coming out for a Q&A and a blessing with the blessed sacrament. And so he processes to the crowd, the Pope mobile, he pulls up to the steps of St. Peter, gets out and he turns around and he sees we're all, all these priests are there just filling the whole piazza. And, and, 
And I remember this wave of emotion went through his face, went across his face. You could see him kind of get a little choked up. And I just felt it was just such a great connection, you know, that he, uh, I don't know, you think of, you know, academia could make a person kind of dry or whatever and aloof, but I never got that from him. And I, I think all those conversations he would have with people, I think that I greatly blessed his communication skills to articulate these things. I, I, I talked to this one priest that was just helping out in one of the congregations, maybe it was a CDF or something. He bumped into Pope Benedict in the gardens and he said, he said, and had like a 30 minute conversation with him. And Benedict was wanting to know about his experience and what it was like and all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow. You know. I, I desire to be like that. <laughs> Most time people bump into me, I'm just like, hey, I'm on my way somewhere. Just sorry, we'll talk again later. But, and you hear that, you heard the same thing of, of John Paul II. Oh, amazing man. It'd be fun to, to do a best theological, like top 10 theological minds of the last thousand years and, <laughs> and see where he would rank. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, when you were just talking about the way he could summarize everything, you yeah, think of yeah. Aquinas, I mean, just assume, you just think of like, Benedict had that kind of uh, yeah. mind. And, and yet he, you know, he had, he had the, the other theolo- friends or theologians who were thinking outside the box and yeah. he would still be able to to work with, he was a liberal. They considered him a liberal right. in his early years, right. and then by the time you know, as the world changes, he yeah. didn't change. The world changes. Right. Also, who's this this staunch conservative and yeah. just a, a great, great mind and a great, great man? We're gonna, we're definitely gonna miss him. But then again, I bet you he can do some amazing things uh, yeah. up there, interceding for us. Well, down that's below. What, that's what I I've ever talked to Father Stan Fortuna after John Paul died, and he's a huge John Paul devotee, and he. And he said, I, I said, I feel like it was such a loss for us, you know, to lose. He said, so no, no, Father. He said, he can help us more from heaven. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So. Amen. We lose sight of that sometimes, but it's something yeah. that we definitely need to be thinking of. Mother Angelica, we, we still have no idea what she's able to do for us even now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was recently reading, started reading his Benedict's reflections on Vatican II. He wrote in the 60s, just after the council. And they're not like super depth, deep or academic, but yeah, he was very much for the changes in the liturgy and all of that. And uh, and some described it, you know, because he's an Augustinian and that, you know, so there was a feeling that, I'm completely out of my league now, but like, like the Thomism could be somewhat stifling or it can, maybe its interpretation could be stifling. And, and I think he did bring that quality of being able to take the good from where he found it, maybe seeds of the gospel, wherever he found it in the culture, issues people were having. You know, it seemed like he could, he could go with that, even though it might be coming from a very liberal source or something, you know, he could take what was good there and use it, you know, to help proclaim the gospel in some way, a better way, which I thought was an incredible quality, you know, to have that. But yeah, not not afraid to, to dialogue. With, yeah, yeah. With even ideas that weren't necessarily uh, right. true, yeah. but you, and then to help us see exactly how they fall short of the right, truth. Right. Right. You know, this maybe takes us back to how we started the conversation too that. 
You know, we interview a lot of people from the Midwest, Upper Midwest. I live from with three Upper Midwest guys here in the community, <laughs> <laughs> and they all have got great work ethics. And and we've, I'm just thinking about it now. I mean, we have just a lot of people that have a fruitfulness to their mission, the apostolate. And the Midwest is known for the work ethic. In the South, you know, everything takes two weeks to get done and get started. <laughs> everything. We're not known for our work ethic down here. But uh, you mentioned it on the show that, uh, too, that, you know, you feel like you had, you're surrounded by good people. And uh, even like, I was recently in Poland, Maximilian Kolbe's place, Nipikolanov, and he, he had some saintly figures around him and you know, to be able to do what he did too. And uh, maybe you could give us your... Just my... Yeah, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting that as we talk about even the saintly figures with uh, Father, Father Capon, Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from Kansas, and, and then even Blessed Stanley Rother coming from just south in, in Oklahoma, very much of the, the same kind of uh, culture, the farming yeah. background, the agricultural upbringing. Yeah. And uh, even St. Isidore's Yard, you know, the, the campus center that I, I work with at Kansas State, St. Isidore's, that's St. Isidore the farmer, the patron of, of farmers. And so, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I do think that there's, you know, the dignity of labor, there's something about that, the dignity of labor. And in Kansas, you, you have to work hard. You just have to work yeah. hard. I mean, if, 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 if the farmers aren't working hard, yeah. is the, the corn ain't gonna, isn't going to grow on its own. <laughs> you know, the, the wheat's not going to grow on its own. And so we're surrounded. I, yeah. Even my family, we weren't necessarily farmers, but, but my, my good friend, Father Brian Logger, most definitely was his whole family was he's uh him and i were in seminary together ordained together and just being around a guy like that makes me want to work harder you you see a work ethic and it's infectious it makes us all want to show up on time we want to to get the job done um you know i I worked at a place called Owl's Chickenette when I was in <laughs> washing dishes and cooking chicken at Owl's yeah. Chickenette in Hayes, Kansas when I was growing up. And I just, I learned to work hard and I just see that that's just what we have. And, yeah. and, and so I, I also think then when you're surrounded by an ethic that you understand the dignity of human labor, when you're dependent upon the earth, you're dependent upon nature for crops to grow, that then there's also something with all of that combined that, that makes our recognition of a need for God maybe more profound than uh, somebody working in a, a technological or an, an industrial right. yeah. uh, setting or world. And so we just recognize on our own, we're yeah. a mess. Yeah. There's no, yeah. not a chance. Right. And for maybe some reason, just like those of us in the, in the Great Plains region, yeah. uh, the Midwest, it's just, it comes more naturally to us. Right, right, right. Well, tell us some of the stories of the students you work with, uh, some powerful experiences you've had at the Student Center sure, with the, sure. the Panda. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, prayer in action. Uh, I like that you called it Panda. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. Was he call it Panda? Well, yeah, the whole thing. So we we did the the television show uh-huh. uh, Life on the Rock, talking about the mission uh-huh. program I started, mm-hmm. Prayer and Action, some 15 years ago, and it's basically local mission 
work in, in one's own backyard, basically, in one's own diocese. Yeah. And so we, we get high school kids volunteer for a week in the summer. And even the name Prayer and Action, uh, when I was told that I was going to be leading this up and the diocese was going to be supporting me in, in doing this and giving some, some funds, we received through a, a grant from Catholic Extension because we're a mission diocese. There's a lot of things that happened all at the same time. And, and they said, okay, now you're going to go lead this backyard mission program. Right. You know, what we call it, the stars, backyard missions. And we're trying to convince high school kids to come. And uh, they, another seminarian, a friend of mine, Brian uh, Ziegler, he was also going to be helping me out that next summer. Wow. And uh, he, he says to me one day, hey, <laughs> we have to have the perfect name for this program. If we have the perfect name, this thing's going to really, it's going right. to thrive. Right. And I remember telling him, like, listen, Brian, we don't really need to have the perfect name for the program. All we really need is to have a good program. And then the name becomes <laughs> you know, associated with that program, and the name becomes great. And that's, I, just, I told him that. And he uh, comes back to me later that night. And he says something like, I got it. I have it. What's that? The name for the program. And it, I do love where it comes from. It's a quote from John Paul II. Uh, it says, look to Mary to see how to follow God's call. Hmm. First she held all things, pondering them in her heart. And then she went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we follow God, with prayer and action. Yeah. And so he said, There's, that's the name of our program. Yeah. And I said, what are you talking about? I don't know. That's a, I don't know if I like that name, but since I, I just told him the name didn't matter, uh-huh. and I've, I've grown to love the name. I love prayer and action, uh-huh. prayer and action, prayer and action. I mean, yeah. my life is synonymous with prayer and action. Uh, <laughs> but I, what I didn't realize also at the time that I was going to learn to love that name, but I also I had no idea until maybe a year and a half, two years later, that if you're going to abbreviate prayer and action, and so you take the P from prayer, uh-huh. and then you write out the word and, uh-huh. and you take the A from action, P and A, that spells the word panda. But they're not known for action, are they? No, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> come they on, sit people. around eating bamboo. <laughs> the Archdiocese, Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, who, who have their own prayer and action program, uh-huh. they like use the, a picture of a panda head <laughs> in promoting their, their mission program. Uh, <laughs> I'm oh, the before, founder. Before you did. <laughs> I'm the founder uh-huh. of this thing. I'm like, what, what do we got here? Panda. <laughs> like, people are like, what, I, I talked to the college students, like, what are you going to do this summer? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be a missionary for panda. <laughs> no, I founded, I founded this program. You can't call it Panda. But, you know, they, they don't listen to me. They don't listen to me. So, yeah. But isn't but I, it on your website? The it, well, I think, you, I think you might have been looking at the Kansas City website, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, but again, yeah. Panda, even this line of diocese kids, which is uh, okay. a, a part of who I work with, they, they call it Panda as well. Everybody okay. does. Except, okay. except for one group. One group in Madison, Wisconsin. And they might be, I think they're doing it better than any, anybody else. <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin. They changed the name. They, they call it Love Begins Here. Ah. by a uh, Mother Teresa quote, right? When, when she would, would talk about people always want to say, hey, I want to, she'd be an American. She said, well, everybody wants to go to India and work with me in India. She says, no, <laughs> get to know your neighbor. Right. Love begins right. here. And so the folks in Madison, they've been at it about as long as we have, and they've got an incredible program doing much the same stuff that we do, local mission work, helping people, uh, elderly, the poor, the, the, mm. the handicapped, Praising God at night, mm-hmm. celebrating the sacraments, you know, yeah. for a week at a time. They work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, I would imagine Madison, Wisconsin, they're, they're 
putting a thousand kids a summer through their program yeah. that are spending a week serving. For us, it's probably closer to, to four or five hundred. And um, it's amazing. You know, Savannah, Georgia has it now. They're doing a great job. But this this program uh, has changed lives and it's it's affected the lives of, of my college students. I was uh, mentioned this on the television program that just the other day I was standing around a fire with some of my students, and, and these are kids from Wichita, from Kansas City, from Dodge City, from a number of different parts of, of Kansas. And almost to, to the person, they could tell me how when they went on a, a mission trip through prayer and action in high school, it deeply affected them. And, and, and I think that the way it affects people, the reason it affects people is because there's just a connection of the heart that we miss out on mm. far too frequently. That, that was my story. You know, the first time I went on one of these mission trips, I was upper 20s a bit of a mess and said yes to going as a, a, spot, a sponsor an adult sponsor with high schoolers and we we worked we painted a house for a woman a hispanic woman i couldn't communicate with her i didn't speak any spanish at that time i've been blessed to learn spanish since uh, to a degree i've lost a lot of what i've learned but uh couldn't communicate with her but i i, I heard the story of what we were doing she was dying she was dying of cancer and we were painting her house and, and she upon death was going to be, her, her body was going to be displayed in, in the parlor, in the living room, as we call it now, mm-hmm. uh, of her house. And she knew that family and friends were going to be coming to, to pray for her after she had died. She was very embarrassed about the way her house looked on the, on the outside. And we went and we painted it. And to see her eyes, even though I couldn't communicate with her, and, and the joy and the, the gratitude that she felt, it impacted me deeply, mm. that heart-to-heart connection. And, and so I see that with the, with the students mm. as well. I, you know, it's, you tell the story of, uh, of students who, they go to a house to paint the house. And generally, maybe we send a, a team of about 10. So, so a, a typical week, you might have 70 kids, high school kids, and then some adult sponsors with them. And you break them into six or seven different work crews, and you send them out to do six or seven different mm. jobs. And, and sometimes the job is not much. It's, it's painting a small house. It's doing a little bit of yard work. Uh, and, and maybe half the kids are painting. Maybe half the kids are, are painting, but then the other half are inside getting to know the person that lives there. Mm-hmm. And I remember stories of just these particular young ladies who were, who were talking with elderly women or men who had been recently widowed. And, and they're just sad. They're sad. And you can just see, like, people say, like, I see their sadness. It's as if they've, with the passing of their spouse, they've lost their heart. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're sad. They're always sad. The people in the communities we're working for will talk of them. Yeah, he used to be vibrant. We used to see him at Mass, daily Mass. And, and, and now it's just the sadness has just crept in. And, and, and understandable, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But then these students go to paint the house. And some of these young men and women, they just... They, they, they awaken the heart mm. of these elderly. There's one gentleman who actually the last morning that, that the students were there that had been working on his house, he actually got in, in out, of his, out of his house and hopped in his, his like Model T that he had in his garage, this super fancy wow. old car that he liked to show off. And, and he drove that to the church mm. just to, to thank the kids, to say goodbye to the oh. kids, hugs and tears. It, it, yeah, it's insane to see what, what just the sharing of one's heart can, can right. do. 
And so that's kind of stuff that, that we would do. And, and it's this stuff then that changes the hearts of, of high school kids that makes them understand that uh, just being, you know, whatever, on their phones, mm-hmm. we take their phones away for a whole week. It's the hardest thing in the world. You think we're, yeah. you almost think that we're chopping their arms yeah. off when we ask them to, to <laughs> hand their phones over yeah. on a Sunday night and then we give them back on, on Friday. Uh-huh. Boy, they're not missing out on anything. Yeah. They're living life perhaps for the first time. Really. Right. Uh, investing in the people sitting across the table from them, hearing the stories of the elderly they're working for, and, and then sharing the graces. Like at night, one of the big components of our, our prayer and action program is to share the graces at night as to how you saw God working throughout the day and being wow. able to be courageous enough to stand up and say, I saw God here. Wow. It changes people. It changes people. Yeah. And so that feeds St. Isidore's and, and Kansas State University and you know, St. Lawrence Center over at KU or St. Paul's University Parish in Wichita State, you know, my former associate is now the uh, chaplain, Father Drew Hoffman at Wichita State, and this guy's the most dynamic guy on earth. But mm-hmm. but this kind of stuff, right, these kids sharing of their heart with other people through these missions, it changes all of our campus centers, and people recognize there's something that these kids have that I do not have, right. and I wonder how I can find it. Yeah. Let me ask you, like, in your in the priesthood, how has this affected you, or maybe what principles do you bring to the priesthood in your work? Um, because, the, you know, obviously, I guess any vocation, you can uh, can get into a rut, maybe, or you can get routine and kind of get dead. How yeah. has it affected you, and what? how do you let it affect you? Right. Uh, you know, the... We, again, much of what we're doing is, is on the heels of, of recording the television program. But uh, I mentioned that I, I didn't want to go. The first two mission trips I went on. Uh, Let me ask you real quick on that. Because we did, did you actually hear a voice that told you you're going to be okay? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, probably in the, in the depths of my... <laughs> stupidity and selfishness <laughs> uh-huh. and, and really buying into the promises of the world. Um, but there was a time that I was, I was relatively broken and I knew it was my own fault. I knew that, that it was choices that I had made that had brought me to this circumstance without going into great detail. And I, I found myself going to the Adoration Chapel blessed enough that I'd had an encounter with the Adoration Chapel. That's where I went to pray. And in that hour, in that hour, uh, that was on campus. Uh, it was it was in in the city of Manhattan, oh, okay. and, but it's it's Manhattan just kids. Man, the the little apple, the little <laughs> apple. That's what we call ourselves. There was a, a parish that has a twenty four seven adoration okay. chapel, and so this is where I was actually a school teacher. I was teaching oh, uh, okay. at this Catholic mm-hmm. school, and so uh, we had an adoration chapel there, and I just went and and again I, I didn't know how things were going to work out for me. I was nervous, you know, some just knew that I'd made a mess of things. And I remembered in that hour, like as close as I've ever experienced it, like a voice. You know, I, I can't tell you if he had a high pitch or a deep voice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It wasn't, oh, he spoke English, but it was with a certain, you know, accent. No, but it was just the heart, right? Yeah. The, 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 the voice of the heart that, that gave, uh, peace overwhelmed me in that hour of adoration. And when I walked out of it, I knew I was going to be okay. But I also mm-hmm. knew that I had to start saying yes to him, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the yeses I gave was to go on a mission trip, to be mm-hmm. that adult leader going on that mission trip where I encountered that woman 
who was having her house painted because she was, was dying. Um, but, you know, from the time I said yes to the time I actually went, I just became hesitant to go. I didn't yeah. want to, you know, we all, we all experience that. A lot of people sign up for a, a week of mission or even a conference or a trip yeah. to EWTN. And, and then when it actually gets to be, okay, we got to pack our bags and go, like, oh, maybe I'll back out. I mean, people drop out of these kinds of things all the time. That's what I wanted to do, but I, I couldn't. And right. So, right. so I went, right? I didn't want to go, but I went and my life was changed. I, my life was changed. And, and like I said, I, I told him that first day that I was there painting that house, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be with my, my friends playing golf back in Kansas or whatever I'd be doing. And, and yet, the last night I was there, I explained if, if I could stay here doing this for the rest of the summer, I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I really lived as a Christian. That's how I yeah. described it. The first time I really lived as a Christian, rejoicing in all of the, the glory of God, uh, praising Him, sharing the graces where I saw Him throughout the day, hearing other people share those same graces, and then laying down my life for the good of another instead of just trying to use others for my own good. Right. I was pouring myself out for others. And, and so that realization, that impacted me that, okay, you didn't, never forget that you didn't want to come to this. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> but you still said yes and you did it. You're so grateful that you did it. Even yesterday, even yesterday, yeah. flying here. <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a young man talked to me in in the terminal uh-huh. before I got on the plane. He said, you Catholic? I said, yeah. And he you know, dressed as a priest. And he said, I went to confession for the first time in five years recently. I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. That's great. Right? Get on the plane. I'm, you know, I've got things to do. I've got stuff to listen to. And I, that's, I'm a, a mess and selfish still. <laughs> uh, lo and behold, I sit next to this kid. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a God thing. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and well, so here's the, here's the funny thing about it. Lo and behold, I sit next to him. Yeah. But what I, I didn't recognize is that when the, the steward or airline attendee, whatever we call them, uh, he, he said to me, he said, hey, the, the row, you know, that there's the exit row that has a little bit extra yeah, space. Yeah, and you'd have, yeah. he said, would you like to come and sit there? Your legs are a little bit long. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll always use a couple extra inches of space. Yeah. And that's when I went and sat next to that kid. Ah. He asked the attendant to invite me to sit next oh, to him. Wow. And so it's a God thing. It's a God yeah. thing in that, in that he's, uh, and, and he wanted to say, you know, I wish it was just more of a happenstance mm-hmm. bother that God had put us next to each other yeah, and that I didn't yeah. have to manipulate right, the situation right. to get you to sit next to me so yeah, I could talk yeah, to you. Yeah. Um, but, but what I love about this, I'll preach about this someday for sure, <laughs> is that, you know, God, God invites us then to be also cooperating in his grace. Yeah. And, and when this kid says, okay, there's a priest on the plane, see if he'll sit next to me. Yeah. That's perfect. That's, that's more of a God moment, I think, than if I just happenstance would have been put right next to him. Yeah. Yeah. God started it, but he also invited this young man to be courageous to, to yeah. talk to me in the terminal, yeah. then to invite me to sit next to him so he yeah. could talk to me more, and then to share his yeah. story, his life. And so again, one of those things where I don't know if I really want to do this. If I really yeah. want to spend the next yeah. hour, hour and a half talking to somebody on a plane, mm-hmm. um, I could be listening to a podcast and becoming holy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? But but then I did it, and even this morning as I'm pondering and waking up and thinking about you know yesterday, where did where was God present? Where were my graces? It was in that. 
I didn't want to do it. Perhaps the inclination was to say no, mm-hmm. but I said yes, and God blessed me. And, and I think that that's, that's the reality. That's even in the priesthood. So many times you experience it. Somebody's right, at the door. Right, you got to right. go and act in charity. And, and you're just thinking to yourself, I don't want to do this. But when, we, when we're generous, uh, Father Drew yeah. Hoffman, my former associate, uh, the Diocese of Wichita is generous, right? They, they give me an associate priest. I'm the Diocese of Salina. The Diocese of Wichita gives me an associate priest at Kansas State, even though we're not in their diocese. Yeah. Because there's so many Wichita kids at Kansas State. First, Father Drew Hoffman, now Father Matt David, both incredible, incredible young priests that are yeah. working alongside me at Kansas State. Father Drew Hoffman always talked about the law of the gift. Yeah. You're not going to outgive God. Right. You may not want to give, right. but give, and God's yeah. going to give you more. Yeah. And it's, it's true. It's so very true that, that even though the inclination is to say no. And so my priesthood, it can get in a rut. Absolutely, it can. Mm-hmm. And, and at times it does. But what do I need? When that happens, I need to, to get out of myself. I need to, to step out of myself. And generally, it's, it comes in serving somebody who's in need, serving yeah. the poor. I mean, yeah. Mother Teresa would talk about that all yeah. the time. Yeah. All right. Well, um, any closing thoughts? Got about oh, a minute or so. Hey, EW10 is the best. That's my closing <laughs> thought. Listen, when I was going through those days, uh-huh. when the Lord was speaking to me, start to say yes. That's when I first discovered EW10. I'm watching Benedict Rochelle. I'm watching Mother Angelica. I'm watching you. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm watching The Journey Home. I am just enthralled by all that EWTN was about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this day that I've spent here in Alabama mm-hmm. has been insane. I've done radio stuff. <laughs> I did the TV stuff. Now we're recording. You did radio podcast. today? Yeah, I did radio spots. How they did called they me. find out? I don't know. I don't know. But they, they heard that I have a face for radio. They're so. poaching our guests. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was there. I was recording all sorts of stuff, making up prayers on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. And so, you know, the thing is, is my closing thought would simply be this. What God told me in the Adoration Chapel that day is start saying yes to me. Mm -hmm. And and if people start saying yes to God, they're going to be blessed. Even in in the midst of the trial, the tribulation, the struggle, the sufferings, there's a blessing. You know, the the sufferings become easier to deal with. because he's, he's alongside you. He's suffered. He knows. More bearable is maybe a good way to say it. You can bear them easier than your sufferings because he's at your side. If you just start saying yes to him. But the joy has become even more joyful. And that's what I've experienced today. Just incredible joy. Yeah. This is so much yeah. fun yeah. to be here doing this. I yeah. uh, loved EW10 for many, many years now. And here I am in, in the heart of the wow. uh, EWTN world in <laughs> Irondale, Alabama. Is that what it's called? Irondale? Irondale, yeah. <laughs> here I am. Yeah. Like, you, been, you ever been down there? Like, I've never been down there, but here I am. <laughs> and uh, I have to leave soon, but I, I wish I didn't. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Absolutely. coming, saying yes, and uh, joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Absolutely pleasure. God bless you.